Medley, when did you first come to Cumberland Lodge? Well, it seems that I first came in February 1965, which is 53 years ago. But I remember certain features of it, although Cumberland Lodge was rather more old-fashioned in various ways then. But I came to something called the LSE Political Science Society Weekend, Uh, and I have to confess that I have no recollection of this society. Though I do remember the certain features of the weekend, and of course that is where I first met Miss Buller. And how did she come across to you? Well, she seemed very austere and very old-fashioned and rather intimidating uh, to a student. Somehow I have her in my mind uh, dressed in long Edwardian clothes, but that can't be right. I think she was rather tweedy and maybe brogues and a certain briskness of manner. She certainly had no appreciation of the undergraduate need for alcoholic refreshment. Um, and there was always, and there was not a trace of alcohol available uh, in Cumberland Lodge. Uh, so at the end of the afternoon session, there's always quite a, a quick march to that nice pub beyond the gate, which was quite a long way to go for a drink. But there was a regular pattern of transhumans uh, as we went there for a drink and then had to get back for a certain time for, um, for dinner. But I think the second time I came was probably with the LSE History Society and I was the vice president of it and my friend Roger Bullen was the president. We were close friends. Uh, Roger later became historical advisor to the foreign secretary and died young of a brain tumour. But because we were president and vice president, I think we were elevated to being invited to have what Miss Buller called A Sherry. And this A Sherry turned out to be one very minute glass. I'd never seen such a It was a thimble-sized glass of sherry, which we were given and which we politely sipped um, with her. I think later in 1965, um, I suppose it could have been 66, uh, but you haven't been able to find any record of it, which you can find for my visit on the 12th of February, can't you? Can indeed. And your signature here. Um, Which is a remarkable historical document, is it not? So I have this recollection of this tweedy, austere, uh, rather old-fashioned, formal sort of figure. But um, I suppose many of the traditions that she was keen to establish here still survive. And so I suppose, um, of course, I thought she was very old. She, She was probably younger than I now am. But she did seem like a figure from the past. Uh, but then perhaps I'm more sympathetic to figures from the past now than I might have been uh, as a young man in 1965. And then you came back more regularly to Cumberland Lodge a little later on. Yes, once I went to UCL as a lecturer, which was in 1969, uh, I latched into the pattern which was then well established and which I understand they still follow. Uh, of bringing all or certainly most undergraduates here for the first weekend of term, uh, which would either be the last weekend in September or the first weekend in October. And it was always a great, we came out in buses and they brought out, I don't know, 50, 60. There are now so many, they now take 130 a year or something. So I don't know if you could fit them all in or how they do it. 
But we used to do it, and it was a very important occasion because we got to know first-year students. We used to think that students were very nice when we met them at Cumberland Lodge, and then they were very nice when we met them at the graduation party three years later. But they were always a bit of a problem in between. Uh, but it was a very important departmental occasion, especially when we had more and more Americans coming. Uh, and the Americans, as you know, were always very articulate and willing to open their mouths and put their foot in it, uh, whereas the British students are often very shy and retiring. Uh, and the point of the Cumberland Lodge thing was to get them discussing and opening up. And it was very successful from that point of view, but it was very successful from the point of view of the academic staff, all of whom were encouraged to call in at some point in the weekend or even stay here. And that was important because we had very little opportunity otherwise of hearing our colleagues lecture or teach. Uh, and that was actually quite important. Uh, so I often spoke at Cumberland Lodge for coming pretty well every year for 30 odd years after 1969. I don't think I've been here for 11 years till I come now and I now find you've got security and buzzing in and reception desks and um, everything seems to be uh, more professionalised. Uh, but I see that your aims are still substantially as they were in the 60s and probably as they were after the war. I think that's probably true. Which is all the good, I think. Is Miss Buller buried anywhere in particular? I mean, is there a shrine? I suppose her, her shrine, or I should say her legacy, is, uh, is twofold. Not only this place, but her book, Darkness Over Germany. And that was the book that really led to um, this place becoming the home of an educational charity. And it also led to her relationship with the Queen Mother, which was absolutely instrumental in us uh, finding a home here. I don't know whether in your time coming, when, whether you were aware of that sort of connection and how it, how it came to be. I think we were, because very often the principal did talk about, as it were, the principles uh, of the place. I can't remember Miss Buller doing that. But sometimes I have heard more than one principal talk about the history of Cumberland Lodge going back to the Duke of Schleswig-Holstein, do I remember, and people, and the famous fire, yeah. which Queen Victoria came and loved seeing Cumberland Lodge burn down. Uh, so over the years one picked up things about its history. But then the foundation after the war, and its rededication, is that the right word, uh, in memory of the late king, uh, after he died, isn't it in some way, uh, especially a memorial to him? That's the impression that I had, yeah. uh, the, the, uh, the Queen Mother was the main mover, and, and it's, as far as I know, her main memorial to her husband. Right. I think there was that idea uh, about it too. Uh, and I'm delighted to see that it still continues. Do you still have royal patronage? We do. So the patron is, is the Queen now. And at weekends, did you, I know that uh, you may not personally have gone to it, but, but groups go off to the Royal Chapel at weekends. Was that going on in your yes, time? Yes, it was. It was. Yes, you used to come for lunch on Sundays, and little groups of Americans would be swooning because they'd gone to the Chapel Royal and uh, they'd come within spitting distance, if that's the right phrase, of the Queen Mother and were very excited about it. And uh, David Davre always used to take a mini-load of, uh, of, uh, of papists uh, to somewhere in Windsor, uh, whereas some of us used to go, well, we used to play croquet, that very that well-known violent game. <laughs> uh, or, of course, 
it, it was autumn and so we could walk around uh, the park with the trees looking magnificent. Mm. Do you think that the the ambience of this place is so different to say being in, in uh, the ambience you would experience in UCL or the LSE? Yes. Did it add something different to the student experience? I think very much so, yes, uh, because you were encouraged to debate with all sorts of different sorts of students. And of course, you met various sorts of teachers, not just those who were formally teaching you, mm. but who were establishing so were a tone of a tone of inquiry. And uh, of course, you get to know people if you're having a walk with them or a drink with them. Uh, and we used to do more of those things with students than now. One of the, of course, many of us were closer in age to students than we gradually became, if if that sentence makes sense. Um, whereas now, of course, uh, you very rarely have university teachers in their 20s. Mm. Um, junior people are really in their mid-30s, really. And so there is much more of an age gap now, so to speak, between us and them. And that, in, that leads to much more of a, of a formal divide than there used to be, uh, both at LSE and at UCL. And this is, I'm afraid, a retrograde, in my view, a retrograde development. Mm. And that must be one of Cumberland Lodge's ways of cutting through that divide uh, by bringing people together and allowing people to have a glass of beer together here and um, uh, talk to uh, established teachers. Yes, you don't have to go to the Fox and Hounds now to get a drink here. No. So I always thought it was an admirable institution, and it seems still to be. Can I just ask you a question about university life in this country and the role of universities it seems that higher education has changed considerably certainly since since I was an undergraduate at UCL and whether a place like this has a particular value to add to the experience of students and indeed to their teachers as well yes well I would say so uh, it is said that students are increasingly thinking of themselves as customers or consumers and that they have uh, rights and expectations that uh, overrule those of their teachers um, whose uh, authority they don't accept because they, they've, they've got to force them to pass their examinations. And whether the, it's said this is encouraged by the fee structure and, uh, and, and so on. And if this is happening, as it clearly is to some extent, it is a very retrograde development. Uh, and I think uh, Cumberland Lodge should, as, should have as one of its roles uh, something to undermine that tendency uh, because I think uh, it's hard for people to come here and think that they're, they're here just to consume or they're on some sort of conveyor belt uh, because they have to make a positive decision to come here and the sort of way of life where they're thrown together with their teachers uh, takes us back to an older and a better tradition. So you should keep doing what you are doing uh, and undermine these tendencies uh, of students to increasingly narrowly, uh, you know, do their coursework. You see, at LSE in the 60s, we, we went to lots of lectures. I mean, you know, most people went to listen to Lord Robbins pontificating about the history of economic thought or Karl Popper. And... Nowadays, that's almost unheard of. People don't go to lectures outside their own discipline or outside the particular courses that they're actually taking. Uh, and with any luck, you can expose them to 
a wider range of disciplines and lectures here that are not so narrowly tied to a, a narrow conception of uh, what their next piece of coursework is. Um, and so that is a further way in which I think you still have a very valid, uh, a very valid role.